0: Wars That Shaped the World uses dynamic, immersive audio to depict scenes of warfare. Listener discretion is advised. As the winter of 1950 settled over the war torn Korean peninsula, two US soldiers posed for a press photographer. They stood on the banks of the Yalu River staring across it into Manchuria and grinning. Here we go. Yes. Corporal Mayford J. Gardner held a Browning automatic rifle. Oh, Private First Class Tommy L. Robinson clutched his M1 Garand. Both were in winter fighting gear, scarved and gloved, helmets unbuckled. Both perhaps thinking of Christmas. That's when General MacArthur had promised the war would be over. And more importantly, Corporal Gardner and PFC Robinson would be back home with their
1: families.
0: (laughs) Off camera, other soldiers, to catcalls and whistles from their comrades, urinated in the river that divides North Korea from red China. The photograph captured the high watermark of the Korean War for the US and United Nations forces. Behind them, lay the whole of Korea. Ahead of them, well, nobody was entirely sure what was ahead of them, but it did not unduly alarm General Douglas MacArthur. Was MacArthur worried about what might come out of Manchuria?
2: Very little. We are no longer fearful of their intervention. We no longer stand hat in hand. They have no air force. Now that we have bases for our air force in Korea, if the Chinese tried to get down to Pyongyang, there would be the greatest slaughter.
0: By the end of October 1950, The Korean War was only entering its fifth month, yet already it had seesawed from one end of the peninsula to the other. South Korea and the US had seemed set for certain defeat in the autumn, yet here they were, weeks later, on the verge of certain victory. Then, in the closing days of October, a South Korean battalion was overwhelmed by an unknown force on the banks of the Yalu River a couple of prisoners were taken. They had red stars on their caps. They were foot soldiers of the Chinese 42nd Army. Are there many of you here, asked their interrogator. Many, many, came the answer. A day later, the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders there were two brigades of British and Commonwealth soldiers in Korea, fought a brief engagement near the Chongchen River. Afterwards, Lieutenant Colin Mitchell hurried forward to check the casualties.
2: They were unlike any enemy I'd seen before. They wore thick, padded clothing, which made them look like the little Michelin man. I turned one body over with my foot and saw that he wore a peaked cap with a red star badge. These soldiers were Chinese. I turned over another, and as I looked down at him, he opened one eye and looked up at me. I shot him with my Luger, shouting to the platoon, they're alive. It was quickly all over, and all the enemy lay dead.
0: Reports of more Chinese prisoners reached General Bulldog Walker, commander of the Eighth Army. Some of his staff expressed concern. Walker brushed them away, just the usual borderland mixing of peoples.
1: company under attack by large force. They say it's the Chinese, sir. The Chinese have crossed the Yalu. General, it's happened.
3: Nonsense, son. Let's not leap to conclusions. Sir,
1: there are reports from across the front. The Brits say it's the Chinese. The Koreans say it's the Chinese.
3: Well, sure. There may be some of them, but let's not get carried away. After all, a lot of Mexicans live in Texas.
0: On 1st November, the 8th Cavalry Regiment were defending a ridge outside Unsan. A forward patrol from F Company was under intense attack. It was evening, and the soldiers of G Company peered through the draining light towards the firing. There was the sound of bugles too. The men glanced nervously at each other. Had they gone back in time? Then it hit them. Out of the gloom appeared wave after wave of Chinese soldiers, yelling shouting, hurling grenades and spurred on by the call of those bugles. is wars that shaped the world. <makes noise> no, I don't think
3: I'm
2: going to be a little of
0: was just mass hysteria on the position. It was every man for himself. The the shooting was terrific. There were Chinese shouting everywhere. I didn't know which way to go. In the end, I just ran with the crowd.
2: We just ran and ran until the bugles grew fainter.
1: I was dancing with my darling
2: to the
0: Sea PFC Simon and the rest of the Eighth scattered into the hills. Simon and a group of 30-odd men spent two weeks fleeing through the mountains, surviving on berries, before stumbling into British lines. The Chinese attacks succeeded in breaking the 1st Cavalry Division. One battalion was reduced to six officers and 200 men, clinging on to the command post with desperate hand-to-hand fighting. An estimated 180,000 Chinese had crossed the Yalu from the middle of October and gone almost entirely unnoticed by the Americans, or where they were noticed, ignored. General MacArthur brushed it away as a token gesture, the Chinese saber-rattling to try and save face. It displayed, adjudged the historian Max Hastings, a contempt for intelligence seldom matched in 20th century warfare. The Korean War was about to change course again. For the soldiers at the front, the first Chinese attacks did not feel much like MacArthur's token
1: gesture. They came out of the hills near Unsan, blowing bugles in the dying light of day on 1st of November, 1950, throwing grenades and firing their burp guns at the surprised American soldiers of the 8th Cavalry Regiment, 1st Cavalry Division. Those who survived the initial assaults reported how shaken the spectacle of massed Chinese infantry had left them. The Chinese seemed to come out of nowhere as they swarmed around the flanks and over the defensive positions of the surprised UN troops. Only a few scattered survivors made it back to tell their story.
0: Words like disarray and collapse dot even the narrative of the official US histories as they describe the human wave assaults of bugle-blowing Chinese. Sound appears to have played a significant psychological role in spreading panic through American units. The Chinese attacked largely at night, when U.S. air power and superior weaponry held less sway, and did so with a barrage of noise. They were armed with light submachine guns with round drum magazines, which became known as burp guns because of their distinctive firing noise. And they were directed by bugle calls. To the UN forces, it may have seemed something from a long gone era, but the Chinese lacked the equipment of the Western forces. The bugle gave their commanders a simple and instant ability to order their well-trained men into quick changes of direction or attack added to which the sound of the bugles got into the heads of the UN soldiers. There, it combined with the darkness, the shouting, and fear of an unknown and relentless enemy to play havoc. One veteran described the experience.
3: It was close to midnight and everything was black as hell. I was hunkered against the wall of the trench, waiting like everyone else. The floor of the trench was slimy with blood and God knows what else, suddenly, The silence was shattered by the eerie blare of a bugle coming from the blackness beyond the trench.
0: More than 800 of the 8th Cavalry were lost to the initial Chinese attacks. Chinese troops that, as the U.S. Chief of Military History pointed out, only recently had been considered as existing only in rumour. But on 6th November, as the U.N. retreated to defensive positions along the Chongqing River, the attacks stopped. The Chinese units seemed to vanish back into the hills and valleys of the North Korean wastelands as if they had never been. All
3: was quiet again in North Korea.
0: Two weeks after they charged out of the night, they disappeared back into it. As suddenly as they'd arrived, they were gone. Why remains a mystery. The two foremost theories are it was either meant as a warning shot, China's messages to stay away from the border had been ignored, so this was a next step, or it was a test, a probe to see how strong the UN forces were. Whatever the reason, the UN had some thinking space. The US had a problem with China. Washington knew very little of what was going on inside a country isolated from the West nor did they have any clue towards the intentions of the Mao regime. Both Washington and MacArthur's Far Eastern Command in Tokyo consistently underestimated, misinterpreted, or plain ignored what intelligence there was coming out of China.
2: To give any portion of North Korea to the aggression of the Chinese communists would be the greatest defeat of the free world in recent times. Indeed, to yield to so immoral a proposition would bankrupt our leadership and influence in Asia and render untenable our position both politically and morally. <laughs>
0: MacArthur, and he was not alone in this, believed U.S. air power would destroy any Chinese offensive before it could get going. He was also adamant the Chinese army was poorly equipped and led, and abysmally supplied. To an extent, MacArthur was correct. The Chinese army's equipment was at least a decade behind that of the U.S. Their supply lines were an issue, and were to become increasingly so. But their soldiers were highly motivated and well-led. Most officers were battle-hardened, with the more senior having 20 years of war experience against the Japanese and nationalist Chinese.
3: We know what
0: we are in for, but at all costs American aggression has to be stopped. The Americans can bomb us, they can destroy our industries, they may even drop out bombs on us. What then? They may kill a few million people. Without sacrifice, a nation's independence cannot be
3: upheld.
0: Still, MacArthur was emphatic. The Chinese would not intervene. And he was a hard man to argue with. Here was an American hero, conqueror of the Japanese, the man who said he'd be back and was. The inspired military mind behind the lightning strike at Incheon that turned the tide almost overnight in Korea. Even after the first attacks, as the UN forces licked their wounds on the front line, MacArthur insisted China would not make a major intervention in Korea. Charles Willoughby, MacArthur's intelligence chief, maintained there were only 34,500 Chinese in station. In fact, more than 300,000 were already in the border region. Somewhere, Willoughby had lost a naught. Confidence among UN forces remained high. They had 425,000 men plus overwhelming air and navy support. Talk was of attacking on a broad front to the Yalu River and ending the war. Corporal Gardner and PFC Robinson would still be home by Christmas. MacArthur was determined to finish his mission quickly, finish off the North Korean army, now reduced to five weak divisions, and unite Korea. Never mind the Chinese warnings, Bulldog Walker's 8th Army would advance to the Yalu River, General Ned Almond in 10th Corps, separated from 8th Army by the supposedly impassable Tabak Mountains, would do the same on the east side. November the 24th, 1950, was Thanksgiving. Conditions were cold, winter had arrived, but across Korea, US troops were fed turkey dinners with all the trimmings. Supply was not a problem <laughs> for the UN. Oh, still army chow. Might not even been turkey for all we knew, but they said it was, and they said it was cranberries too. And we ate and ate and talked about home. What we'd be doing at home on Thanksgiving, our our folks and such. They gave us a beer or two as well and they went down good and quick. Boy, that was a day. Good food, good company. Last proper meal many of them boys ever had. Last supper. On the same day, the Eighth Army pushed north. They made good progress. Near Unsan, they discovered 30 survivors of the 8th Cavalry, frostbitten and wounded, but alive. The Chinese had released them, surely not the action of a country intent on waging war. Some units reported coming up against Chinese forces. 8th Army HQ brushed them aside. The Chinese weren't coming. And his regimental HQ, Colonel Iron Mike Mikailas, dressed on Thanksgiving morning.
2: Morning, sir. When you're shaved, I've laid out a fresh uniform on your bed, sir. Thank you, Corporal. Happy Thanksgiving, sir. You too, Corporal. Yes, you too.
0: Colonel Michaelis wouldn't change his clothes again until February. The attack came the following night. Across the front, UN soldiers scrambled out of sleeping quarters as bugle calls, whistles, screams, shouts and gunfire exploded around.
3: I thought I was dreaming when I heard a bugle sounding and the beat of horses' hooves in the distance. Then, as though they came out of a burst of smoke, shadowy figures started shooting and bayoneting everybody they could find. The assault
0: was devastating. US soldiers waded the freezing Chongchon River to get away. By noon the following day, South Korean forces on the Eighth Army's right wing had folded. The UN flank was exposed. U.S. intelligence raised their estimate of Chinese troops in theater to over 100,000. But still, neither Walker nor Far Eastern Command realized the extent of the Chinese offensive. In Washington, it was considered a bluff. The Pentagon didn't think the Chinese army up to the task. The U.S. had failed to spot that in two weeks in October, China had moved over 130,000 men for their first wave up to their jumping-off points. The Chinese didn't have the transport or communications of a modern army, which helped conceal their movement. They moved only at night, and there was no radio chatter or telltale transport tracks. But anyhow, the Americans were not looking. China's Red Army was large, and a large percentage were hardened veterans of the long conflict with Japan. And the Civil War that followed. They were equipped lightly. Each man carried their weapon, a rifle or burp gun, eighty rounds of ammunition, grenades, spare foot rags, sewing kit, chopsticks, a week's rations of tea, rice, sugar, and a tin of fish or meat. They survived on one-sixth of the supplies given to a US soldier, and on those limited rations they could march for miles quicker and further than the UN soldiers. They had to use speed and night attacks to try and negate superior US firepower. To begin with, their tactics were devastating. They were a pushover compared to the Japanese, remembered one Chinese veteran of those first confrontations.
2: Look around here.
1: This is a sight that hasn't been seen for hundreds of years. The men of a whole United States Army fleeing from a battlefield? Abandoning their wounded? Running for their lives? The US
0: Army in Korea was falling to pieces. Late on 26th November, the Chinese attacked through the disintegrating 8th Army flank. The US and Turkish division on the extreme of the UN front were badly exposed. In fact, the entire Eighth Army faced the prospect of being cut off. Soldiers and civilians fled before the Chinese, US forces withdrawing amid huge columns of refugees. As with the first communist attacks back in the summer, Chinese and North Korean troops hid among refugees to get behind US lines. It added to the chaos and confusion. The US Second Division was almost cut off, making a frantic withdrawal south on a congested valley road under never-ending fire. Even the UN's air support could not make a difference. Units began to abandon a kit to speed their getaways. Men crawled in ditches to avoid murderous Chinese fire. The order was given. Every man for himself. 2nd Division lost 3,000 men and ceased to function as any sort of fighting unit. PFC Mario Scarsoletta was one of those scrambling south.
1: There was a complete loss of leadership. It was a nightmare, really. Many times I felt we'd never make it out of there, that to survive this would be a miracle. Those Chinese were just fanatics. They didn't place the value on life we did. To this day, I still think about it. The bodies blown up, the Americans run over with tanks, Panic and shooting in the nights.
0: In four days, the Eighth Army were pushed back twenty-five miles. Late on thirtieth of November, a sketchy defensive line was established from Sukchan to Sinchangni. Bulldog Walker couldn't believe what he was seeing, and what's more, he didn't believe the Eighth Army was strong enough to hold a line. He ordered further retreat. The chaos continued. This was one of the most extraordinary retreats in modern military history. There was now an 80-mile gap between Alman's 10th Corps and Walker's 8th Army. In the east in particular, 10th Corps were battling the conditions as well as the Chinese. It was freezing cold and they were scattered through deep valleys on narrow roads, everywhere overlooked by snow-covered heights and ridges. The US forces in Korea had received reinforcements, but many, such as the 3rd Infantry Division, were not made up of regulars. The 3rd Division had a corps of regular soldiers, but its thin ranks were filled out with recently arrived Puerto Rican National Guardsmen, while others had thousands of katusas, Korean augmentees to the US Army, make up the numbers. 10th Corps was focused around the Choisin Reservoir, due south of the Yalu, and supposed to be on the offensive according to General Alman's orders. At first, as they advanced, there was no opposition. Then the Chinese arrived and the
1: transformation was devastating. We've been looking for the enemy for some time now. We've finally found him. We're surrounded. That simplifies things.
0: Chesty Puller, a Marine colonel and veteran of the Pacific, soon had his hands full. Two Chinese divisions swept down either side of the reservoir. The Marines held them off and inflicted heavy casualties, but were in danger of becoming cut off. Nevertheless, General Almond helicoptered in and insisted they continue their attack.
2: We're still attacking, and we're going to go all the way to Yalu, boys. Don't let a bunch
1: of Chinese laundrymen stop you. Let's go.
0: As Almond left, on the other side of the reservoir, the Chinese were attacking Task Force McLean. It soon became Task Force Faith after Colonel McLean died of wounds. Amid the carnage and panic of the American retreat from North Korea in November and December 1950, the actions of Colonel Don Faith and his men stood out. Faith was only 32, but an experienced soldier, a decorated Second World War veteran of the 82nd Airborne, with whom he landed in Normandy and Arnhem. His was a hopeless task. He was surrounded and had around 600 wounded men, a quarter of his force's strength. There was one narrow, icy road to withdraw down.
3: None of you walk. I can't. sir. Anyone, we need every man, every man who can hold a carbine. Come on, boys. Come on, you lazy bastards. Give us a hand.
0: The wounded struggled up, those that could clutching their weapons, and were squeezed onto 30 trucks as Faith decided on a breakout, a fighting withdrawal. They set out when air cover arrived in early afternoon, but at once the marine planes dropped napalm short and it hit the front of Faith's column.
1: I left the area on a truck with the rest of the team. We were being fired on constantly by enemy machine guns. Our planes were trying to help by dropping napalm between our troops and theirs. As a result, some of our men got burned pretty bad and were put aboard the trucks with us wounded. I will never forget the smell of human flesh after that. A lot of them died before too long.
0: That caused panic, and the columns scattered. Faith dragged his men back together, and they pressed on down the road under constant fire. In the distance, across the frozen reservoir, they could see the lights of Hagaru and safety. As daylight faded, a Chinese roadblock barred their way. Faith led the attack in person, and although the column got through, Faith was mortally wounded. The dying colonel was propped up in his Jeep and the column staggered on until it came to a blown bridge. This was where the column finally split. The fit took to the ice of the frozen reservoir and fled towards Hagaru. Colonel Faith remained with the wounded to buy some time for the rest to get away. Sometime on that bitter night on the banks of the Choison Reservoir, Don Faith died of his wounds. <laughs> Of the two and a half thousand men of Task Force Faith, 1,000 were killed, wounded, captured, or left to die of their wounds in the cold. Of those that made it across to Hagaru, some had been driven mad by the cold. Patrols were sent onto the ice to find the stragglers wandering round
1: and round in delirious circles.
2: Some of these men were found dragging themselves on the
1: ice. Some had gone crazy and were walking in circles. It was pitiful.
0: But Task Force Faith had destroyed the best part of a Chinese division in its rearguard action and bought time for the eventual evacuation of Hagaru and beyond. Without it, it could have been a catastrophe for the Tenth Corps. According to the U.S. Chief Military Historian, Brigadier John Brown, The entire fate of Tenth Corps might well have been different if not for the bravery and stubborn defense by the man of Task Force Faith. Colonel Faith was awarded a posthumous Medal of Honor. His remains were discovered 62 years later by the reservoir and flown home to the US, where he was buried in Arlington Military Cemetery.
3: Throughout the five days of action, Lieutenant Colonel Faith gave no thought to his safety and did not spare himself. His presence each time in the position of greatest danger was an inspiration to his men. Also, the damage he personally inflicted firing from his position at the head of his men was of material assistance on several occasions.
0: There were many US commanders who could not match Faith's leadership. The 7th Infantry was reduced to 500 men. One officer entered the officer's mess in Hagaru to discover its commander, General David Barr, sobbing softly.
1: I mean, Barr was a nice man, but he had no personal magnetism and should never have been permitted to command a division at war. He was too old and too soft. The Chosen
2: campaign finished him.
0: General Barr was sacked and sent back to the US. Task Force Drysdale was a British-led force sent to break through to Hagaru to help open the escape road to Hungnam, Nam, the port on the Sea of Japan, where evacuation would take place. Lieutenant Colonel Drysdale's force included 235 Royal Marines and was spearheaded by 17 tanks. They were ambushed in Hellfire Valley. The fighting lasted all night, the task force breaking up into small groups, each one engulfed in hand-to-hand struggles for survival. One Royal Marine recalled running past an American, on fire from burning phosphorus, begging someone to shoot him.
2: He was uh, he was kneeling for a bit, and I uh, I couldn't I just couldn't. Could you? I looked back after I was passed and the. Uh, <clears throat> he was rolling on the ground, just uh, just screaming and screaming. And now I, uh, I wish I had, I wish I had.
0: Drysdale eventually got through to Hagaru with just 100 of his Royal Marines. The battle for Hagaru and the ensuing retreat to the coast was as grim as any engagement in the Korean War. And that was true for both sides. At night, the thermometer plummeted to minus 20. Medics carried morphine surrettes in their mouths to stop them freezing. The Chinese attacked every night. UN soldiers didn't dare zip up sleeping bags for fear of being caught out. There were rumors the first cavalry had been bayoneted in their sleeping bags as they struggled to get out. There was one narrow 50-mile road, winding through snowy passes, down to the port at Nam. It was the only way in, and the only way out. General Almond, 10th Corps commander, insisted this was not going to be another Dunkirk. That, said Almond, was too grievous to contemplate. His men would retire with their equipment. The fighting retreat that followed has been held up by some US historians as a mini triumph. To that extent, it was in some ways an American Dunkirk. They were blessed with good fortune, in that the Chinese had advanced so swiftly their artillery couldn't keep up. They also struggled for supplies, and just as the Americans did, with the bitter cold. Frostbite affected thousands of men on both sides. Marines spoke of watching thousands of Chinese troops swarming along the hills around them. Down below, the Marines cleared the immediate ridges that overhung the road and struggled on. Mountains all around, seeming to go on forever, facing constant cold and constant attacks. They carried water bottles next to their skin to try and stop the water from freezing, stuffed ration packs under their arms, and had to use explosives to blow the frozen ground for foxholes. To many, there seemed no prospect of escape from this frozen hell. Hands would freeze to the bare metal of our
1: weapons. We slept with our weapons tucked against the body to stop them freezing up. I had a few older members in my section in their late 20s, and some mornings we had to physically pull them out of their foxholes and walk them around until they
0: regained the use of their legs. Shaving was difficult as the hot water boiled in the Dixie would freeze in a few minutes. Washing clothes was out of the question, unless one wanted to wear a temporary bulletproof shirt or underpants. Air support proved crucial, but nevertheless, the first stage of the retreat, from Hagaru to Kotori, took 38 hours to cover 11 miles, under ceaseless mortaring and attack. Supplies were torched, but they took the dead with them. The Marines were determined not a man would be left behind. General Smith, commander of First Marines, became famous back home for his remark to the war correspondent.
2: Gentlemen, we are not retreating, we are merely advancing in another direction.
0: It was in one sense true because his men were surrounded. They had to advance to the coast or die in the freezing mountains. Smith saved them and the US Army avoided catastrophe by the skin of their chattering teeth. At one point, engineers used helicopters Korea was the first war in which helicopters played a key role to drop in two-ton replacement sections for a blown bridge. The retreat to Hungnam cost the Marines over 11,000 casualties, more than half from cold and frostbite. It's estimated the Chinese suffered more than 37,000. The Chinese were hit by conditions too. By the last few miles of the retreat, Chinese attacks waned. They were worn out. Between the 9th and 24th of December, U.S. ships withdrew 105,000 troops, thousands of vehicles, and hundreds of thousands of tons of supplies, as well as nearly 100,000 refugees. On Christmas Eve, 1950, the last soldiers of the U.S. 3rd Infantry Division were loaded onto landing craft. As they left, huge explosions flattened the remains of Hongnam docks. The final UN attempt to unify Korea had gone up in smoke. In Tokyo, MacArthur admitted,
2: We face an entirely new war.
0: He began to fear the worst, even an evacuation of all US forces in Korea, and began to consider how that could be prevented. Everything was on the table. Back on the West Coast, in 10 days, the Eighth Army retreated 120 miles. By 15th December, they were back at the Imjin River. 95 miles south of the pre-war border. Their retreat was more chaotic than 10th Corps. Soldiers dumped kit, vast quantities of supplies were torched. This was all about survival. Flesh rubbed raw from damp uniforms and constant walking. In the end, the Eighth Army actually outran the enemy. The Chinese couldn't keep up with the pace of the American retreat. The Chinese were exhausted. Their soldiers suffered terribly from cold too. They were not even issued with sleeping bags and had to pilfer them from their beaten enemy. Chinese supply lines were poor and they had little artillery or air support and bugles apart, terrible communications. In truth, a small arms invasion had routed the Americans and established a significant psychological advantage. The night fighting skills of the Chinese panicked US forces. When attacks began, Amid all the sound and fury, the Americans thought the Chinese everywhere. Man for man, China's divisions were proving the better soldiers. But the US had air power, which began to decisively disrupt Chinese supply lines. And so quick had been the Eighth Army's retreat, many units were still close to full strength, at least physically, if not mentally. According to Brigadier John Brown, US Chief of Military History, The collapse began with macarthur's overconfidence macarthur's failure to comprehend the reality of the situation led the entire un army to near disaster at chonchon river and chosen reservoir only the grit and determination of the individual american soldiers and marines as they fought the three major enemies of cold fear and isolation held the un line together during the retreats from north korea the british were scathing about US forces.
2: The Americans lack determination and an ability to stand and fight. I would judge the American morale as low and in
1: some units... A soldier did not like being attacked, especially at night. And with exceptions, will not stand and fight. Their leadership is, at times, hysterical.
0: And it was the men at the bottom who paid the highest price. From a frozen foxhole on a ridge overlooking the retreating army, PFC James Cardinal wrote home to his family in the Bronx.
1: It looks like the beginning of the end. The Chinese are kicking hell out of the US Army, and I think we're getting out. At least I hope so. I think they're going to evacuate all UN troops from Korea soon, as it's impossible to stop these Chinese hordes. There's just too many of them for us to fight in Korea. If the big wheels in Washington decide to fight, it'll be the biggest mistake they ever made, as I don't think we can hold the Chinese. When you get complaining and bitching letters from me, Remember, every soldier over here feels that way. The troops here are mad. Mad at America, Americans, and America's leaders. We all feel we've been let down by our incompetent, blundering leadership. From the White House down.
0: Next, on wars that shaped the world.
2: I could have won the war in Korea in a maximum of ten days. I would have dropped between 30 and 50 atomic bombs on his air bases and other depots strung across the neck of Manchuria.
0: Wars That Shaped the World was a Goalhanger Podcast's production. It was produced by Holy Smokes. This series was written by Robin Scott Elliott. It was narrated by Paul Waggett. The producer was Neil Fern. The executive producer, was Tony Parsley.